Colorado Supreme Court's decision was a, a judicial masterpiece of, of uh, in constitutional interpretation of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Uh, the, 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 the opinion and, and, and the decision uh, are unassailable and irrefutable. It was interesting. That was uh, the voice of a retired U.S. federal court judge, John Ludig. He's a significant figure in conservative politics in the U.S., worked in the Reagan administration, uh, was uh, appointed by uh, George W. Bush of the U.S. Court of Appeals. He was seen as, you know, a very conservative judge and has been very influential in conservative legal thought. But that was Justice uh, John Ludig reacting to a decision by the Colorado Supreme Court concerning Donald Trump's eligibility to be on the ballot there. The Colorado Supreme Court has ruled that uh, because of the 14th Amendment, the insurrection clause, Donald Trump is not eligible to be on the ballot. This was yesterday. U.S. President Joe Biden asked uh, if he agrees that Donald Trump participated in insurrection. Well, I think it's certainly self-evident. He saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. And no question about it. None. Zero. Well, okay, we'll see what happens here. I mean, this is uh, certainly, it seems, destined for the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Americans, of course, uh, go to the polls to elect a president in November of next year. Uh, Joe Biden is running again. Donald Trump is running in the Republican primary. Certainly seems to be, at this point, still the favorite to win the Republican nomination. Uh, This adds an interesting wrinkle. So joining us to talk a bit more about what this all means, very pleased to welcome uh, to the program here this morning, uh, Mark Graber, uh, University System of Maryland uh, Regents Professor of Law at the University of Maryland. Professor Graber, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, before we talk about what this all means, I mean, were, were you surprised by this ruling? What was your initial reaction, first of all? I watched the oral arguments. Of- was surprised that the judges did seem favorable to at least considering disqualification. And so, in fact, they sort of voted as I thought they would. I thought it would be very, very close. I thought it would be 4-3. I thought that the real issues for Trump were technical legal ones, but if the court got to the insurrection issue, they would disqualify Trump. So let's talk about what the 14th Amendment is, just to get some background here for, for, you know, as Canadians, maybe not as familiar with this. So this is the 14th Amendment. It's Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. What does it contain? What does it say? Well, Section 3 says if you once held a state or federal office and took an oath to the Constitution and then you participate in an insurrection or a rebellion, You are disqualified from future office holding unless you get amnestied by a two-thirds vote of both houses of Congress. Okay, so it's it's to the point, but I guess there's the question of of what constitutes an insurrection or rebellion. What, What do you take it to mean? Well, historically, an insurrection had four elements. You needed two or more people, an assemblage, resisting a federal law 
any law, doesn't have to be overthrowing the government, can be federal parking regulations. By force, violence, or intimidation, peaceful protest fraud is ruled out for a public purpose. That is, your goal is to get rid of the law, not to enrich yourself. Mm -hmm. If the mob on January 6th had been trying to sell congressional furniture on eBay, that would not have been a public purpose. Right. So January 6th, in your view, constitutes, it meets that threshold of an insurrection. At least from the perspective of what an insurrection was when Section 3 was ratified, it looks like an insurrection. As to Donald Trump's role in that, uh, how relevant is that? I mean, Donald Trump was not physically present at the Capitol building that day. Certainly people were there on his behalf, I think, in their own minds. And uh, he did his part, I think, to encourage all of this. So what about his responsibility? Well, that, that's the crucial question. Now, insurrection law is very clear that you don't have to be physically present. So imagine Donald Trump was the arms dealer, that Donald Trump, say, in Virginia, gave everybody weapons and said attack the Capitol. Wouldn't matter if he never participated in the attack. Mm -hmm. Now, if you engage in incitement to an insurrection and an insurrection occurs, you are responsible. There are real issues of what's the definition of insurrection. In the 19th century, sorry, incitement, in the 19th century, almost any form of advocacy was incitement. Today in the United States, incitement is far more narrowly defined, and there are legitimate questions as to whether Donald Trump crossed the line. People of good faith disagree. Well, clearly there's disagreement. I mean, even the uh, Colorado Supreme Court was divided on this point. Uh, how relevant are the states here? Help us understand, because when, when we watch and we look at Americans are electing a president, we think of it as a national election. But essentially, each state is holding its own presidential election, right? That's correct. Presidents are elected state by state. Indeed, in the 19th century, there was no national election day. So it's sort of like... a. You had the presidential election in Pennsylvania. People saw what happened, adjusted. Then there was a presidential election in Indiana, another one in Florida, until they all added up. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, then, I mean, I guess if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns this decision, then Donald Trump could get back on the ballot in Colorado. But if the decision stands, does it automatically then apply to every other state or how, what would happen then? It would depend on the ruling. Under one ruling sustaining the, Colorado, sustaining the Colorado Supreme Court, the Supreme Court could say as a matter of federalism, every state gets to decide for itself what Section 3 means. If Congress wants uniformity, Congress can provide uniformity. On another ruling, they can say, no, we've looked, guess what? President Trump is disqualified. So there's one ruling that sustains where it's just for Colorado, another that's national. And we don't have any inkling which way the court will go. 
Now, in the meantime, I mean, you know, the, the Republicans are holding uh, their, their primary. So this ruling, as it stands in Colorado, like if that means the president is disqualified, does it mean he's disqualified in any capacity, like cannot be contesting the Republican nomination or even for that matter, you know, couldn't run to be the, the mayor of Denver or anything like that? Well, what they did was they said, we've made the ruling. We're not going to implement the ruling yet. We're going to let Trump behave <laughs> as if he's on the ballot. Okay. We're going to see if there's an appeal from the Supreme Court. We'll go from there. What they're trying to do is make sure they're not prejudicing Trump in any way if, in fact, the decision is overturned. But in fact, if the decision is not overturned, Trump cannot run for president in Colorado. He can't move to Colorado and run for dog catcher if dog catcher is a state office. So this is a big case then. I mean, this is obviously, I think, inevitably going to be before the U.S. Supreme Court. They'll rule in in some capacity. How, How huge is this in your view? Well, we don't know yet whether we've got a blip or an avalanche. Under one version, tomorrow the Supreme Court summarily reverses, and all we have is an interesting incident that constitutional law professors and nobody else will talk about for the next 10 years. On another version, no, it turns out this is the start of something, and Trump is disqualified, and this is a major moment in American history. We simply don't know yet. Uh, how quickly does this need to be resolved, and how quickly will it be resolved, do you think? Well, well those are two questions. I think yeah. most people would like to have the court hand down a decision before the first set of primaries, I think, in late January, early February. That way, everybody knows who they're voting for, who they're not voting for. Right. On the other hand, the court has not been known to listen to me or (laughs) academics or newspapers. They do what they want to do. Yeah, there is that. I guess we'll see what happens. Very interesting. Professor Graber, appreciate the overview. Thanks so much for joining us here today.